Hi friends, this is JFET. Whether you're around the corner or across the world, welcome to The Daily Walk. I want you to take a moment today to pause in Jesus and see what new thing could take place in your life. At the end of this podcast, you can download our app, Boulder Church, or visit us online at boulder.church to connect. And remember, we would love to hear from you as we prepare for our messages every Saturday morning on The Daily Walk. Good morning. It's Tuesday, September 25. Welcome to Daily Walk. I'm Becky De Oliveira. And I'm Chafet De Oliveira. Uh, let's pray and, uh, and dive into the text one more time. Heavenly Father, just uh, thank you for this morning. Uh, everything going on in our lives as we get to pause a little bit, we ask you, Lord, in this just these few minutes just to uh, refresh our minds, refresh our souls as we reflect on who you are, uh, this particular passage, uh, the message that Paul felt that he should write, uh, that you inspired him to pen together, to put together. God, may we see the application for our own lives today, uh, and may we see what it means for us and for our communities at large. We ask this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Okay, I got super excited just now. You, know, you all know how much I love the message, but I was looking at my printouts, what I had to read, and I had been a little alarmed thinking... <laughs> wow, you know, the message is always twice as long as any other translation. This time it was half the length. So I was getting ready to read, and then I thought, wow, he's cut out like everything. You know, he's starting with the potter and the clay. And then I looked at it, and Japhet, bonehead Uh over here, had only printed out verses 20 to 33, so he'd missed the first 19 verses. I don't know how I did that, Yeah, so anyway... so, yeah, full disclosure. This yeah. is what goes on behind so the scenes. There may be a slight change in the All sound kinds level. Of tomfoolery. <laughs> okay, so reading from the message, subtitle right. God is Calling His People. At the same time, you need to know that I carry with me at all times a huge sorrow. It's an enormous pain deep within me, and I'm never free of it. I'm not exaggerating. Christ and the Holy Spirit are my witnesses. It's the Israelites. If there were any way I could be cursed by the Messiah so they could be blessed by him, I'd do it in a minute. They're my family. I grew up with them. They had everything going for them. Family, glory, covenants, revelation, worship, promises, to say nothing of being the race that produced the Messiah, the Christ, who is God over everything always. Oh, yes. Don't suppose for a moment, though, that God's word has malfunctioned in some way or other. The problem goes back a long way. From the outset, not all Israelites of the flesh were Israelites of the Spirit. It wasn't Abraham's sperm that gave identity here, but God's promise. Remember how it was put, your family will be defined by Isaac. That means that Israelite identity was never racially determined by sexual transmission, but it was God determined by promise. Remember that promise. When I come back next year at this time, Sarah will have a son. And that's not the only time. To Rebecca also a promise was made that took priority over genetics. When she became pregnant by our one-of-a-kind ancestor Isaac, and her babies were still innocent in the womb, incapable of good or bad, she received a special assurance from God. What God did in this case made it perfectly plain that his purpose is not a hit-or-miss thing dependent on what we do or don't do, but a sure thing determined by his decision, flowing steadily from his initiative. God told Rebecca, the firstborn of your twins will take second place. Later that was turned into a stark epigram. I love Jacob, I hated Esau. Is that grounds for complaining that God is unfair? Not so fast, please. God told Moses, I'm in charge of mercy. I'm in charge of compassion. Compassion doesn't originate in our bleeding hearts or moral sweat, but in God's mercy. The same point was made when God said to Pharaoh, I picked you as a bit player in this drama of my salvation power. 
All we're saying is that God has the first word, initiating the action in which we play our part for good or ill. Are you going to object? So how can God blame us for anything since he's in charge of everything? If the big decisions are already made, what say do we have in it? Who in the world do you think you are to second-guess God? Do you think for one moment, do you for one moment suppose any of us knows enough to call God into question? Clay doesn't talk back to the fingers that mold it, saying, Why did you shape me like this? Isn't it obvious that a potter has a perfect right to shape one lump of clay into a vase for holding flowers and another into a pot for cooking beans? If God needs one style of pottery, especially designed to show his angry displeasure, and another style carefully crafted to show his glorious goodness, isn't that all right? Either or both happens to Jews, but also happens to other people. Hosea puts it well. I'll call nobodies and make them somebodies. I'll call the unloved and make them beloved. In the place where they yelled out, you're nobody, they're calling you God's living children. Isaiah maintained this same emphasis. If each grain of sand on the seashore were numbered, and some labeled chosen of God, they'd be numbers still, not names. Salvation comes by personal selection. God doesn't count us, he calls us by name. Arithmetic is not his focus. Isaiah had looked ahead and spoken the truth. If our powerful God had not provided us a legacy of living children, we would have ended up like ghost towns, like Sodom and Gomorrah. How can we sum this up? All those people who didn't seem interested in what God was doing actually embraced what God was doing as he straightened out their lives. And Israel, who seemed so interested in reading and talking about what God was doing, missed it. How could they miss it? Because instead of trusting God, they took over. They were absorbed in what they themselves were doing. They were so absorbed in their God projects that they didn't notice God right in front of them like a huge rock in the middle of the road. And so they stumbled into him and went sprawling. Isaiah, again, gives us the metaphor for pulling this together. Careful, I've put a huge stone on the road to Mount Zion, a stone you can't get around. But the stone is me. If you're looking for me, you'll find me on the way, not in the way. Hmm. That was not bad, actually. Uh, a little bit longer than the printed version that I had. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Just a little. Just a little bit longer. All right, here's a question for today. Um, what is a promise you see God working through in your life? What is a promise you see God working through in your life? Oh, you can go oh, first on okay. that one. Yeah. Um, so for me, uh, I think that a promise that I feel that God's working in my life is actually the church, uh, the local church that I'm working in in Boulder. Um, that I feel that God is blessing it and God is working incredible, wonderful things inside there with people that uh, we're connecting with. And I feel kind of inspired. I had a, an incredible conversation just today uh, with, uh, with someone where we were dialoguing about it and they said, hey, you know, I mean, just out of the blue, um, the conversation led to them committing to saying, hey, I want to get involved, get engaged and step up into, uh, into a role of like stepping into leadership, uh, stepping into being part of the church and uh kind of inspired by uh the the level of engagement by people and this you know young young professionals who are keen to say it's time to be more involved so yeah i feel uh, i feel that god's uh promises i feel that god's promises that uh, if you're faithful in everything that you do god will bring uh the right ways around and uh, so yeah i feel blessed by that that's awesome yeah yeah, I'm trying to think about it. I sometimes have a feeling that perhaps I'm actually maybe sort of becoming the person that I'm supposed to be, hmm. which feels like a fulfillment of a promise of sorts. But I don't have a strong sense that I've been promised anything in particular. 
So in a way, I mean, I guess yeah, I'm, I like I'm again a fairly like literal person. Yeah. So I'll think, okay, Abraham was promised to be the father of many, etc. I don't feel like anything's been promised to me. Therefore, I don't have um, a huge expectation, I guess, yeah. of how it is that God is supposed to work in I my life. I mean, actually, I feel like a blessed person in, in many ways right now. I think now, it's actually true for a lot of people. That a lot yeah. of people say that because, I mean, and, and when I say the promise uh, for me, that's when I feel that... Uh, it's not a game that like God has said, I promise you this will take place. Um, what I see, um, how I interpret this promise is that uh, God has called us or uh, t- to lead uh, this particular community into work uh, at this time. And the blessing of it is how, how God is living out. And so I see that being fulfilled. Uh, but yeah, I see a little bit of a difference inside the, the text here where God says specifically, Israel, I've called you, chosen you. And this is what I want to bring to fruition is my son, the Messiah coming, God right. himself incarnate and uh, resolving all of this. Um, that's actually a very different uh, different promise on an on a entirely different uh, scale inside there. I do want to say, though, that I love the metaphor, and I mentioned this earlier in the week of the potter, um, which is a reference to great stories that, that uh, Paul knew back in Jeremiah and Isaiah about the clay being molded and and that the work is still being done. Well, you know, one thing I like about that, on the one hand, it's very disturbing, the idea that, hey, a potter can make something great or it can make a piece of rubbish and I wonder which one you are. (laughs) There's that. But then the other thing I like about it is it provides a fairly powerful argument for accepting however it is that you've been created. And I think it makes it really hard for people who say that you should have to change certain aspects of your inherent I, being, if you know what I, I mean. Think, I think actually what the text is really trying to say is that the work is not complete. And that's the deeper part of this, the metaphor inside there. So he says that I'm molding it. I haven't actually baked it. Um, I'm molding all the clay. Well, and now the clay it, it's is, implied is, that he's going to at some point mold it because it will, it'll be either yes. a rubbish bin or something beautiful for flowers. As the clay and is, it is also arguing says, back. It says that he has the right yes, it does. to make something a good thing and something... A vessel for showing angry displeasure. Yes, until so that would mean that you're going to hate specifically. You're going to hate what I'm going to say now. I'm until sure. chapter eleven. Oh, <laughs> I do hate that. I know, I know, because nine to eleven, they all come together. I'm sure and they do. I know, but when you get to chapter eleven, it'll kind of like, oh, all right. Well, anyway, look, we're going to stop right now, um, and. <laughs> Let's uh, let's pause right now for a little bit and let me just repeat the question and think about it because it is a good one. It's a good one. And I, I'd love to hear what other people think about it as well. What is a promise you see God working through in your life? Think about that. Look after each other. Live love. And look at chapter 11. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Daily Walk podcast today. Hey, if you remember, if you have any questions, reach out to us online at boulder.church. And if you can help support us, please feel free to give online at boulder.church forward slash give. Until next time, look after each other and live love.